You guys look like you're having way too much fun. <laughs> we wouldn't want any joy to be around here, would we? Speaking of joy, that's one of the, one of the truths that we run into in the passage that we're looking at today. If you're a guest with us, it's our practice to prayerfully choose one of the books in the Bible and, and then begin to slowly work our way through it. And we're nearing the end of the book of Philippians. We started it in January. 2013 and uh, it's November and we're uh, uh, blesses our plan anyway we'll finish it this month but we're in chapter 4 at verse 10 so turn turn there in your Bibles it's on page 982 uh, in if you're using one of our Bibles there Philippians chapter 4 verse 10 in this passage uh, we come across a verse that's um, well-known, often memorized, um, largely leaned on by many, many Christians. Millions of Christians down through the ages have, uh, have known and relied on verse 13. And it's a joy. It's going to be a joy to look at it in its context and think about it and arrive at verse 13 the way the Apostle Paul arrived at it rather than just picking it out of, the, out of chapter 4 by itself. So let me read uh, chapter 4, verses 10 to 13. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Notice in verse 10, it says how he starts. It says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. And here again, we see that, that uh, concept of joy being spoken of by the Apostle Paul. And you've heard me say it in the past that, that um, some folks look at the book of Philippians and say that that's the main theme, and I disagree with that, but that doesn't mean it's not a theme. It is a theme in the book of Philippians. And here he is, and he's saying this near the end of the book, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. There's great joy occurring. And he's, you'll remember that he's in prison in Rome. He's in some sort of house arrest type situation. And uh, the taxes of the Romans were not going to support the prisoners. So if you were a prisoner, it was up to your family or whatever to supply your needs. And, and here he was in, these, in this bad situation. And then Epaphroditus shows up with news from the church in, in Philippi and with the news he also brings a financial gift to help the Apostle Paul. And that's what stirred up him here. And he's saying, I rejoiced in the Lord, you see verse 10, greatly that now at length you've revived your concern for me. Um, but then maybe it's, uh, it could be that in his mind he then realized, oh, wait, this is going to sound like I'm happy just because I got the money. <clears throat> And he keeps, he keeps writing there. And you see in verse 11, he says, not, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am 
to be content. And what Paul is saying, part of what he's saying here is that I had the joy before I got the money. I have the joy already before I got your gift. And as we'll see later as we work through this, he's actually rejoicing in the Philippians, not necessarily in the money. Even though he's, it means something to him, he's actually arrived at the place in his walk with Christ that other things are where he gets his um, joy from. And actually his joy is actually from the Lord, regardless of the circumstances. And even though the money is coming to him and helping him, the joy is about other things. He's grown. He's, he is someone whom we can emulate. He had the joy before he got the money. And I want us to look in this little paragraph here and see. Now there's more than this, but we, have, we don't have enough time for everything. But I want us to see here three essential elements of Christian joy. And we see it right here in this passage. There's the prize, there's the process, and there's the power. And I want to look at them one by one. I want us to see the prize. What is that prize? The prize we see is in verse 11. <clears throat> Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Contentment. Contentment is the prize. And having contentment, he's got joy. Now when we look at this and we think about this word content or contentment and we wonder what, what does it mean, we, we realize that on, from one angle the, the word content or the idea of contentment means that we're satisfied with what we are or what we have. I'm not wanting more or anything else than I have in order to be happy. That's one, one piece of the idea of contentment. Um, uh, a Bible scholar of yesteryear named Lightfoot, um, uh, he, 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 his specialty was the meanings of the Greek words. He said that the idea of contentment is independence of external circumstances. So my circumstances can be whatever, but, that, but whether my circumstances go up or whether they go down, that's not affecting my peace of mind. It's not affecting my desires. It, I'm content regardless of the circumstances. But in addition to that, and I hope I can explain this well, there's, he, Paul, there's different words in the Greek that mean content. And, and, and Paul used a particular one here that has a slightly different twist to it. It includes the idea of being satisfied with what I am and with what I have. But it's broader than that. And it can actually be translated into English self-sufficient. That I am self-sufficient. I'm sufficient um, on my own. I'm insufficient. I'm able to be and to do what I need to be or do, regardless of the circumstances I find myself in. And so this word, this word that Paul has actually borrowed, he's actually borrowed it from the Stoics, who had this great pride in being self-sufficient and, and being able to be, be strong no matter what. He took that very word that they used, but now he's kind of baptizing it uh, with Christian thought 
as we'll see in a moment. And he's saying, I'm, I'm, for the Christian now, uh, the Christian version of this sufficiency means that I can meet every circumstance that I'm in. No matter how good it is, no matter how bad it is, and I can respond to it in the right way. I can be and do what Christ wants me to be and do, no matter what the circumstances. I'm sufficient for everything. Well, I think um, we want that, don't we? We want that. We want to be able to live in such a way that I'm not looking to my circumstances to enable me to be the right kind of person. Right? If I only had a paycheck that was a little bit bigger, then I'd be the right, my attitude would be more Christ-like. I remember, I remember sometimes when we were um, serving as missionaries in, in East Africa, I remember, I just remember the heat. It was so hot. And the sun was just so blazing. And sometimes when you're at, I was out and walking in villages and stuff, and I would, it would just be so blazing hot. And it just sat me. And there were times where I thought, you know, if it just... I'd be a better Christian if it wasn't so hot. <laughs> I don't know if I thought of it exactly that way, but it was kind of like my attitude would be better if it wasn't so hot. And Paul's saying, by the inspiration of the Spirit, no, Cliff. No, that's not the way it works. We're supposed to live not looking for our circumstances to enable us to be the right kind of people, but we're actually looking at something else and we can be the right kind of people no matter what the circumstances are. Hey, I, I want that. I want, I want that. To live also with our contentment fixed on Jesus so that whatever drive we have or ambition we express, it's not motivated by an attempt to fill a hole in our life with wealth or pleasure or comfort or possessions or anything else that we can achieve. But rather, we work, but we work while we are content. Now that's a radical thought. We don't work so that we can be content. We work while we're content. And our circumstances don't need to change in order to be contentment. Man, that's what we need. Sinclair Ferguson, who's a Scottish uh, preacher and Bible scholar, and right now, actually, he's pastoring a church in South Carolina. I'm not sure how that happened, but um, he said this. He said, Christians today live in a society which is permeated by a spirit of discontentment. Greed has destroyed gratitude. Getting has replaced giving. We have developed spirits driven forwards to gain more, incapable of slowing, stopping, and remembering that those who sow the wind reap the whirlwind. That ethos can easily influence Christians too. It is time to pause and to ask, am I content in Christ if not, it is the first thing I need to begin to relearn. 
You see, you and I are not going to have the joy that's talked about in the book of Philippians in Scripture. We're not going to have that joy unless we have contentment. If we have that contentment, joy is right there next on the runway, ready to take off. But without the contentment, we're still back at the terminal, locked into the, to the terminal. We're now we're close to taking off with joy. The prize is contentment. But now, there's the process. And I hope that you're encouraged with this as I am. Because Paul did not say that when he got converted there on the road to Emmaus, when he, uh, not to Emmaus, <laughs> that was another road, yeah, <laughs> Damascus, right. When he got converted, when he came to, to realize who, who Jesus Christ is and gave his life to Jesus Christ, he didn't wake up the next morning con- Anybody else encouraged with that? It's a process. It's a process. And you see that. Look at verse 11 where he says, I have learned. Do you see that? Not that I'm speaking of being in need for I have learned. And then look at verse 12 at the end. Near the end of it, he says, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger. I have learned. That means there was a time when he didn't know it. And he went through a process and learned it. He learned this. It is a process. And so we can be be encouraged. Wherever we are in that process this morning, you can remember that the Apostle Paul was, he went through a process too. As long as we're in the process and moving forward, we're all right. God's teaching us. and we'll just let him, let him keep teaching us. But let's think about this process. If we look at this passage, we realize that the process involves various circumstances, different kinds of circumstances. Look at verse 11 again. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am. So he was in different kinds of situations. In whatever, circum, uh, whatever situation I am, I've learned. And then look at verse 12. It says, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. So you see, Paul, in his life, had times where they were what we would call good times. Things were good. And he had bad times. Like being beaten and thrown into jail and all kinds of stuff like that. He, he, he had plenty and he was at other times in want. He, he had needs. And he, God took him through all of that to teach him contentment. Now, it might be that on the surface, you would think, well, of course, the bad times, that's when you learn contentment. Because I'm denied something, and something's difficult, or I'm in a circumstance that I can't change. I wish it it would change, but I can't change it. And um, I learn, at that time, I learn to get from Christ what I need to be the person that I need to be. That makes sense to me. But what about the plentiful times? I need to learn contentment there? Absolutely. 
Because in those times, there's another danger. This reminds me of Proverbs chapter 30. I'm going to read a couple verses to you, beginning at verse 7. Proverbs 30 says this. Two things I ask of you. The, the, the one who's writing this chapter is, is praying. He's talking to God. He says, two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. And he mentions one, which I won't mention because it doesn't relate to us at the moment. And then he says the second one. He says, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Just give me just what I need. And then he says, in verse 9, Lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is God? Who is the Lord? Or, lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. He saw danger in both areas. If I'm too much in want, I'll be tempted to sin to try to fix it. If, I'm, if, I'm, if I have too much plenty, I might just, I'm, I'll, I'll be tempted to forget who God is and say, who, who is the Lord? I'm okay. I don't have any needs. There's danger in each. And there's a need in each to learn. And God brought Paul through both. And through it all, he was teaching Paul. And Paul was learning. He was learning. He was changing. And he was, he was gradually learning contentment. But now, there's something I want to show you here in verse 12 that's very, very interesting. And you wouldn't see it in English. Um, you, 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 we, would, we couldn't know it. But in, there, in verse 12, it says, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. And then he says this, I have learned the secret. I've learned the secret. Well, what's happened here is that, that Paul took a word that was used in the mystery religions of his day. And in these mystery religions, you had to go through these different steps. And there was this secret knowledge that was out there somewhere that the people who were initiated into the, this mystery religion, they, they would get that knowledge. But the people working their way in didn't have it. So, and there was a word then for their initiation. And when they were initiated in, they were initiated into the secret. And now they knew. Now they knew. Paul took that word and he used it here. He said, I've been initiated. But of course, he's, he's not believing in that, in that uh, mystery religion. He's just borrowed their vocabulary. He's trying to say something. He's trying to say that, that I've been initiated into this, realizing and, and learning what contentment is. I've learned the secret. Now, there's something interesting about this. And that is, is that nobody initiates themselves. You don't initiate yourself into it. Somebody else initiates you into it. Why is that important? God, in this process of teaching you and me what real contentment is and how to be content, in doing that, he uses the circumstances and he initiates us into them. He engineers it. Amen? We don't. We just keep using the means of grace. 
We just keep walking with the Lord. But we don't have to say, you know, I think it's about time for me to suffer. I think I'm going to go, you know, drive my car over my foot, you know, or something. You know, I'm just going to go, I think I need to suffer now. No, we don't have to do that. Or I think I'm rich now. I think I want to, you know... I'll do whatever and get lots of money so I can tempt myself. No, I don't, I don't, you don't have to do that. The, initi- the one who's initiated doesn't do the initiation. And what Paul is saying in this passage is, is that God has engineered this whole process. And he's put me through it, ups and downs. And in it all and through it all, I have learned. I have learned. Now, I got a question for you. You are somewhere in that process. And God has engineered the circumstances that are in your life right now. And my question is, are you receiving them? Or are you fighting against them? Are you receiving what God is doing in your life right now to teach you? And to grow you and to cause you to learn? Or are you fighting it? You're fighting it. You're pushing against it. You're not looking at your circumstances as coming from the hand of God. And remember, we're talking about the God of Job. Amen? The God who can even use evil against us without saying that evil is good. We won't go into there. Listen to the, all those sermons. <laughs> but that God is engineering The circumstances in your life, are you accepting that? Are you receiving it? Or are you pushing against it? You won't get what God has for you if you're just resisting and fighting against what he is doing. But if you receive, you will learn. You are not going to have joy if you don't cooperate with God as he arranges your circumstances. Well now, that's uh, the prize is contentment. The process, that's our circumstances. Now we get to the power. And now we get to verse 13. Now we're ready to look at verse 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, first of all, I want you to see the parameters of this uh, statement of truth. He's not saying that I can do anything I want to do through him who strengthens me. Someone said that this, is a, uh, uh, this verse has been put on the ceiling, uh, the ceilings of many weight rooms right above the bench press. <laughs> bench. I can do all things. I just put more weight on there. I can do all things. You know... No, this isn't some blanket promise that you can just do anything that you dream up to do, right? And I mean, you wouldn't even, that wouldn't even enter your mind having thought about verse 10 and thought about verse 11 and thought about verse 12. You would never even think about that then at verse 13. But if you just pull verse 13 out of the Bible and read it, well, then you might have some interesting ideas. No, what, what Paul is saying now is that in all these circumstances, I've learned that I can be who I'm supposed to be. And I can do what I'm supposed to do. I can have the right attitude, the attitude I'm supposed to have in all circumstances. I can do all of that because of Christ. 
Amen? And the Christ who is in me and the Christ who is strengthening me. God, he, God makes me sufficient for what is before me. Now you might, well, if you're taking notes, write 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 4 to 6. You can turn there if you want. I'll be there just briefly. But 2 Corinthians chapter 3, 4 to 6. Paul is talking and he says, <clears throat> says this, Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. This is very interesting because that word there that is being used to, and it's translated into English as sufficient, that's our word, contentment. It's the same. It's the same root. Where in Philippians chapter 4, he's saying, I've learned to be content. That's right here. It's the word sufficient. And this is important passage because Paul is saying, um, we apostles, um, it's not that we're sufficient within ourselves to claim that anything's come from us, like anything that we've done, but our sufficiency is from God, who, and then it goes on, he says, who has made us competent to be servants of a new covenant. Paul is saying, God chose me. I don't know why, but he chose me to be an apostle. This is a tremendously impossible task. And who is sufficient for these things? Well, God makes me able to do it. He makes me able to be the guy I'm supposed to be, to do the things I'm supposed to do. Through, through Christ, he says, through Christ. That's Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. It's the indwelling Christ. Christ who indwells me makes me able. So you see, this is so different than the Stoics. The Stoics said, I am content, I am self-sufficient, meaning I will find within myself all the resources I need to do it, to be the right person. And, and, and uh, God is saying through the Apostle Paul, this is the way it works. You will find within yourself all the resources you need, but, the re but what you'll find within yourself is the indwelling, living Jesus Christ. And he will strengthen you. The Stoics were wrong. The Apostle Paul is right. So this self-sufficiency is actually a Christ-sufficiency. And this, by the way, we have time. I just, looked at the I just looked at the clock. You saw me glance up there. This is real Christianity. This is real Christianity. I was just in, a, in an office uh, uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, it was a doctor's office, and we always have a little back and forth when we're in there. And um, he reminded me once again that it's all about morality. It's all about morality and having the, a moral code and living right and treating each other right. And um, I, I keep telling him, if you would just read the stuff I give you, you'd know you're wrong. <laughs> I love this guy. We, we always have a great time. He, we always have a good time. So it's morality. 
But that's, that's not what the Bible is saying. See, this, this, that's, not, that's not it. Morality is, you've got this code. This is the way you're supposed to live. Now it's up to you to do it. You look inside yourself and you, you just come up with the ability from within yourself to live up to the code. But that's not what's being talked about. This is saying that the, the, the scripture is saying that a person comes to the place in his or her life where they look at Jesus Christ and realize that he died for them on the cross and he's the answer and they trust Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ in the person of the Holy Spirit comes inside of you. He is alive, by the way. You remember, he died on the cross, but on the third day, what happened? They went to the tomb and it was empty. He rose from the dead and ascended back into heaven. Now he gives his spirit. So now we encounter the living Christ by faith and he indwells me and changes me and I am forgiven and now I have this new strength and power to live up to some the right kind of morality. That's Christianity. That is Christianity. It's not a moral code. It's the indwelling Christ. And that's what Paul is saying here in verse 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I'm cheating. I can do all things, but it's his strength. You're not actually cheating. That's the way it's supposed to be. And so you are not going to have the joy if you don't rely on the power of the risen Christ who indwells you. Some of us as Christians, we can slip into it so easily. And then some, some of you perhaps haven't really gotten it yet. You haven't seen it yet. But we, we come to Christ and believe in him, but then we try to live the Christian life on our own. We're trying to live it all by ourselves, and we're not deliberately and consciously leaning on the, the enablement of the Holy Spirit, the risen Christ in us, to, to, to put off the sin that's, that's in our life and to take on the good. That's the Christian life, my friend. And you can't have the joy if you're walking, leaning on only your own resources. You've got to lean on him. The prize is contentment. The process are all these circumstances. But the power is the indwelling Christ. And as that is happening inside of me, and as he keeps moving me onward, I find joy even in the hot sun, I find joy, no matter what the circumstances are, I find the joy, and I live the joy, and I trust that you will too. Amen? Our Father, we love and praise you, and thank you so much. Thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you for um, your Son, who suffered on our behalf on the cross, and now, having risen, and giving the Spirit now, you've given the Spirit. Now we can walk with the indwelling presence of Christ. Teach us, O oh Lord, through the good times and the bad, to learn this secret. We receive from you the initiation that you are doing in our lives. Help us to learn. And help us, Lord, to lean on you. And make us into the people you want us to be. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.